Well, hey, Harvest fam, so good to be back together wherever you're worshiping from this morning. If you have a Bible, grab it right now. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. And uh, as you are finding your way to 1 Peter 3, uh, let me just say this. I think all of us know uh, if we live long enough, we're going to come under fire at different points throughout life. And here's what I mean by under fire. We're going to be criticized. We're going to be scrutinized. Uh, there's going to be seasons where life is hard and life is tense. And I think it's really important for us to know as Christians um, that there will be times that just because of our faith, just because of what we believe, because we are following Jesus and because we believe in the truth of the word of God, that our faith will come under fire. Now, the more we were in First Peter, the more I am just gaining like a deep, deep appreciation for this book. Uh, the very first week we said Edmund Clowney, just a, a Bible scholar who has studied First Peter significantly, he, he calls First Peter a traveler's guide for Christian pilgrims. Uh, we got to remember that Peter is writing here to a group of believers who are suffering. Life is hard. Um, shortly into the letter, Peter says, uh, you are being grieved by various trials. These are people who are living in the midst of their faith being under fire. But what Peter's trying to do is he's reminding them and he's reminding us that our citizenship does not ultimately remain here. It doesn't ultimately rest here. That we are citizens of a kingdom that is from up above. And so, yes, we are traveling as pilgrims and sojourners through this life on this earth, but we look to the new earth that Christ will make. And so um, this book is really made to equip us for the seasons in life where our faith is coming under fire. And so we get to uh, this portion of the letter, 1 Peter chapter 3. We're going to start here in verse 8. And as we finish out chapter 3, here's what I think we're going to find today. We're going to find four responses for us when our faith is under fire. Four responses for us when our faith is under fire. And so here's what I hope these responses will equip us for. I hope it'll equip you for uh, the times that you take a bold stand on a biblical truth and, and it's just not culturally popular and you're criticized for it. That could be at your school, in your classroom, in your workplace, amongst your family. Um, you're criticized, you're scrutinized for taking the bold stand on the Bible that you have. I hope that these responses will guide us and help us. Like, how does the Jesus follower respond during times like that when your faith is under fire? I pray that a message like today will help you with maybe that family member, or those few family members who just uh, criticize, scrutinize, are just um, um, antagonistic toward you, towards you for what you believe in following Jesus. Um, these responses of a faith under fire, I think, will help us. And then we know that around the world, many of our brothers and sisters in Christ experience physical uh, persecution and abuse. And uh, should God ever bring us to that place where that's a reality for us, I pray that it's these verses right here that he will bubble up in our heart to prepare us to know how to respond in those moments. And that's why I just pray you're continuing to chip away at memorizing this book. And I know Listen, I know it's a big task, and I know I don't know where all of you are in memorizing this. Some of you might be memorizing pieces of it. Others of you might be going for the whole thing of getting that whole book hidden in your heart. But please, don't give up on that. I think having a traveler's guide to remind us we're just pilgrims passing through, hidden in our heart, is so important 
for a day in which we're living in like today. And so keep chipping away at memorizing it. But let's look together at these four responses today for godly responses when our faith is under fire. And the first response I want to pull out from the text today, the first godly response when our faith is under fire is this. We unite together in love and humility. The first response when we or you personally or we as a Jesus community find our faith under fire is to unite together in love and humility. Look at what uh, 1 Peter 3 verse 8 says. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. And so uh, we come to verse 8, and he says, finally, all of you. Now, remember where Peter is coming out of. He's coming out of a section in the letter in which he's uh, speaking to kind of the different segments of the faith community. He's spoken to wives, and he's spoken to husbands, and he's spoken to us who are under leadership of employers or in that day of masters. And now he says, but, but here's a thing for all of you, for every Christian, for every Jesus follower, if you are part of the family of God, here is what you have to know and keep your mind on. Um, uh, have unity of mind. That is so beautiful. And at times, even in the body of Christ, can be so hard, right? Because our sin bubbles up and, and, and it can be hard to live in a unified way. But, but Peter's saying, all of you, Jesus followers, have unity of mind. And this is something Jesus actually prayed for us. And in his high, high priestly prayer in John 17, he says this, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Jesus prayed for the oneness of his followers. And now sometimes I read that, and if I'm honest, I can be a bit skeptical. I know, like, hey, that's a lofty ideal to try to get to, but is it really possible? And then you flip to the book of Acts and you see the early church, and you see how much it talks about them being of one heart and mind. And this is something that God can do. He can give us a unity of mind. Now, I confess in my pride that so often I can think that unity of mind means uh, if you disagree with me, convincing you to just believe what I believe about something, convincing you to think how I think on something, and I go, great, now we have unity of mind. But, but I think unity of mind is something so much more beautiful and richer than that. Unity of mind comes... When you and I, with the Spirit of God in us and guiding us, are seeking the mind of Christ. When you and I are both being led with the mind of Christ. To be able to look at something and interpret something and say, it doesn't matter ultimately what I think or what you think, but Christ, what do you think about this? What, where are you grieved over this? What do you have to say about this? How would you respond to this? It's us seeking the mind of Christ. And Peter says, all of you have unity of mind. And then he goes on, um, uh, sympathy, brotherly love. And then I love this combo he mentions, a tender heart and a humble mind. A tender heart and a humble mind. Uh, see, 
Remember that these people are being pained and strained. Their faith is under fire. And I think we have to stop and really camp out on this first response, first godly response when our faith is under fire. Because when life gets stressful and painful and we're starting to feel the fire um, coming down on us, it's real easy for us, even within the family of God, to start to get at each other to let the pain and the stress and the strain of all of that get at us in such a way where, where the enemy creeps in and uses it to divide. God says, no, during times like this, when your faith is under fire, you unify. And the glue of that unity is love and humility, a tender heart and a humble mind. Um, I jumped into the word this week just to get ready for this sermon and it was last Monday morning and I'm, uh, I'm sitting there thinking, could there be a more perfect verse for us as followers of Jesus in the day we're living in right now than 1 Peter 3, 8? I mean, you pull up your social media feed, you pull up the news, you see the racial unrest, the social unrest, the um, deep pain, and deep division in our country right now. And I know a lot of that can even creep in here to us as the family of God, but, but I would just look at us and I would say that would we seek the mind of Christ in these things that we're seeing in our day and in our culture? And I know sometimes um, people can get a little uncomfortable when the pastor brings up the things of the culture, but I think what's really important for us to know is, is we have to take what we see in the Word of God and we, we have to ask God, Lord, how does this come to bear on the day in which we're living in? Lord, what are you instructing us from your Word written thousands and thousands of years ago for the current moment in which we find ourselves? And 1 Peter 3, 8, I believe, can be a guiding like North Star to help us navigate through the days in which we find ourselves of so much unrest. I would ask us to really camp out on verse 8 to try to guide us to think about, Lord, Lord, ultimately it doesn't matter what I think. It, it matters what you think. Jesus, give us your mind on these matters. Help us to grieve over this that grieves you. Help us to grieve in the way in which you would grieve. Help us to engage and act the way you want us to engage and act to see the change that you want to see to your glory. I'm just praying that God will help us have a unity of mind as believers, especially in this time would would first peter 3 8 a tender heart and a humble mind really guide the way we communicate in this time would it guide the words that we say would it guide our fingers in what we post on social media would it guide our responses and how we respond to the post of another God, will you please give us unity of mind? God, would you please fill us with sympathy? 
God, would you please, by the power of your spirit, give us a brotherly love. God, would you please give us a tender heart. And God, would you please give us a humble mind. And how I know I could just confess that how much I operate with a heart that's not tender and a mind that's not humble. I so often think I'm right. And I so often think I know. And the Lord has just used this verse in my life to go, Brock, you don't know, and you're not always right. And would you humble yourself, and would you seek the mind of Christ? And I'm just praying that the Holy Spirit would really guide us into the application of what this looks like in the day in which we find our country, in which we find our culture. Seek the mind of Christ in this matter. How is he interpreting this? And this will guide us towards unity with the glue of love and humility when we're just living in times where stuff's coming under fire and when our faith is coming under fire. And so uh, before we go just to the second response, I want to stop there. I want to give you some time to chat for a bit. How does 1 Peter 3.8 equip us for the days we are living in right now? What from that list that you find in that verse there is really helping you think through what should my response as a Christian, as a Jesus follower, what should my response be if I'm really seeking the mind of Christ in this matter? Not what some, uh, like ultimately what some political view says I should hold, not ultimately what um, my group of friends say how I should be think. What, how would I interpret, how would I love, how would I think if I was pursuing the mind of Christ? What from this verse convicts you? What from this verse encourages you? to seek more of the minds of Christ in these days of unrest and division in which we find ourselves. How does this equip you for a day in which your faith will come under fire as well? So talk about those things out of this verse and uh, we'll continue on here in a minute. So the first godly response when our faith is under fire, um, it had to do with, with how we interact with each other. And what I mean by each other, the, the family of God, those who are followers of Jesus. Um, but the, the next two responses really get at when our faith is under fire, how do we react towards those who are inflicting the pain, inflicting the suffering, inflicting the accusations uh, so the second response is this. Um, when our faith is under fire, we bless those who hurt us. We bless those who hurt us. Look at what it says in verse 9. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. We don't often probably use the word revile to revile in our normal daily language. Uh, to revile means to abusively or angrily insult. So do not repay evil for evil. Do not uh, revile when someone reviles you. But on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. And so Peter here, he is hearkening back, he's looking back on uh, the teaching, like Jesus' paramount teaching on the way of the kingdom in the Sermon on the Mount. And in that sermon, Jesus taught on this. He says, if someone slaps you on the right cheek, turn him the other also. 
He says, uh, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. Do not repay evil for evil. Do not revile back when someone reviles you. Instead, you bless. You return evil with blessing. You return reviling with blessing. But practically, how do we bless when someone does something evil against us? Practically, like, how do we really do that? I know it's what Jesus taught. I know it's what the word says here, but I know how hard that is to do in the moment. And I would just say, practically, I think one of the ways we bless most powerfully in return when someone has done something evil against us or when someone has abusively insulted us is this, it's to pray. I think prayer is the greatest way to bless in response to evil. Uh, Think about the stoning of Stephen in the book of Acts. And as these people are hurling stones at him, ultimately taking his life, he's praying for them. And I find it fascinating that one of the people in the crowd who was approving of the stoning of Stephen was Saul. Think about Stephen's prayer for these people and ultimately God's answer to that prayer and the conversion of Saul and Saul becoming one of the the, the greatest missionaries of the Christian faith, suffering so much to see the spread of Jesus. We pray in return. So the way of the kingdom, the way of Jesus, it's to bless those who do evil against you. When you are insulted and when you're mocked for holding what's something that's just a fundamental view of the Christian faith, you bless in return by praying for those insulting or mocking you. When your faith is under fire and people are really saying awful things about you, you bless in reply. And it says that there's a blessing when we do that. Bless, for to this you are called that you may obtain a blessing. And then Peter quotes from Psalm 34. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. Let him seek peace and pursue it. That we would seek peace towards the people who are not acting peacefully towards us. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. He sees. And his ears are open to their prayers. He hears your prayers even for your enemies. He hears your prayers for those who are hurting you. He hears your prayers for those mocking. He hears your prayers for those insulting. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. It's just, we got to ask God to help us with this. I know, you know, when you are really insulted, when someone does evil against you, or better yet, when someone does evil against your family, when someone does evil against your wife or against your husband, when someone does evil against your kids, how hard is it to not rise up in the flesh and seek to retaliate with evil? When someone insults you, I know in the moment, in my pride and in embarrassment, I want to one-up them with an insult back in their direction. But would we bless in return and in this way honor Jesus? Would we bless in praying for them in the moment right there and then throughout the days after that the Lord would change our heart and fill us with love for those who are inflicting such pain. And so uh, the second response when our faith is under fire is 
We don't retaliate with evil. We bless. We repay with blessing towards those who are hurting us. The third response, uh, it, it goes closely with this. When our faith is under fire, the third response is this. We suffer for righteousness' sake, prepared to defend the hope in us. We suffer for righteousness' sake, prepared to defend the hope in us. Look at what it says in verse 13. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? Peter asks a question. Uh, basically, I think his point is not, not many will be lining up to harm you in life if you really are zealous for what is good. But he says, but there always will be those people. But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Here's a beatitude reality right from the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are you when you are persecuted for righteousness' sake. This is what Jesus said, and it's what Peter is reminding these Christians of. If you suffer for righteousness' sake, God says you will be blessed. And then he goes on to say this. Have no fear of them. Have no fear of who? Have no fear of the ones inflicting the persecution on you for righteousness sake how how do we not live in fear of them have no fear of them nor be troubled verse 15 but in your in your hearts honor christ as lord but in your hearts honor christ the lord as holy always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason, for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. So let's spend some time unpacking that section there. And so um, one of the responses when our faith is under trial is to be willing, joyfully willing to suffer for righteousness sake. And in the midst of that suffering, to be prepared to give a defense for the hope that we have in Christ. Do not be in fear of those people. How do we not be in fear of them? Well, we honor, we revere Christ the Lord as holy. He has his rightful place in our heart in such a way that we revere him. We, we're in fear of him. And because of the fear of the Lord, we do not fear anyone else, even the one in the midst, uh, even the person who is in the midst of inflicting the suffering on us. Honor the Christ, the Lord, is holy. And we won't live in fear of them. Instead, we'll be ready to witness to them. We will be prepared to give a defense for the hope that we have in Christ. We will be prepared to witness to the one insulting us. We'll be prepared to witness to the one mocking us. We'll be prepared to witness to the one inflicting the pain and the persecution and the suffering on us. And this is the work that God does in our heart. Uh, it tells us, though, as we witness in response to someone who is inflicting persecution and suffering on us, that we're to do it with gentleness and respect. Our witness for Jesus is always to be done out of gentleness and respect. Uh, no one gets unlovingly argued to the love of Christ. 
No one gets unlovingly argued into the kingdom of God. If you've been around our church, you've heard me tell the story of talking to a teammate of mine in college about Jesus. And we're in our dorm room and I'm witnessing to him. I'm trying to convince him of his need for Jesus. He's uh, kind of being sarcastic and and not taking it seriously and and beginning to mock me a little, which uh, is starting to elevate my anger inside. What I thought was the time was righteous righteous anger, which was not righteous anger. So I uh, hop up off the futon in my dorm room and I am marching over to get my Bible. He thinks I'm marching over to him. So he stands up out of his chair and I push him and he launches me back onto the futon and I hit the futon and I pop back up and I got my fist back ready to punch him right in the jaw when other teammates come in and tackle me before I can do it. I appeal to us today, that is not the way to win someone to the Lord. I have yet to hear the testimony of, oh, and then that Christian punched me in the jaw, and man, it was just then that like I knew God loved me. Now we witness with gentleness and respect. This goes on here to say in uh, verse 16, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, when you are slandered, when you are slandered, not if you are slandered, there will come a point in your faith journey where you will be slandered. When you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame for it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will, then for doing evil. It is better to suffer for doing good. If that should be God's will, than doing evil. Think about how practical that verse is. How often have we hit a point in our life where it's like you look back on that business venture or, or some academic thing in school or whatever it might be, and you're like, I did the right thing. I tried to honor God every step of the way and the project failed, the business failed. But I I look at like these other people and I know how they're doing business or I know that they cheated on that or I know. and, And look, it just seems that they are prospering. Why is life hard for me and doing well and trying to honor the Lord? And why does life look so much better for them? And I know they're not doing it in a God honoring way. And the Lord just looks at us and he says, I see you. And I hear you, and I want to tell you, it's better to suffer for doing good. If that should be my will, God speaking, than for doing evil. And so the third response is when our faith has just come under fire is simply to go, Lord, I'm willing. I am willing to suffer for righteousness sake. I'm not a glutton for punishment. I'm not like asking for it, but I'm willing to suffer for righteousness sake. And with you, with revering you as Lord in my heart, I'm willing to give a defense at any time and to anyone, even the ones inflicting the pain and the suffering on me. I will give a defense. I will witness to them and I'll do it with gentleness and respect. And the Lord, by the power of his spirit, will use that witness in a mighty way. Uh, Kind of an extreme story of this, uh, but one relayed to me by uh, some friends in ministry doing work overseas. A Christian leader in a country was captured and he was tied 
and he was brutally beaten by his captors. And uh, one of the captors had sensed something different about this man. And the way that captor later described it, he said, every time I walked in the room, it was like there was this glow around this Christian who had been captured. And uh, the Christian who is tied up and had been brutally beaten, he is praying to the Lord for a miraculous escape. And all of a sudden, before he knows that this one captor comes into the room and he begins to untie him from being uh, uh, chained up. And uh, he had drugged the drinks of the other captors so that they were fast asleep. And um, as this Christian is being let go out of the chains and this captor is helping him escape, the captor asks him, something's different about you. I see a glow about you. And this Christian who had been captured is sharing, is witnessing, is sharing the gospel with a man who just hours before was beating him brutally and tying him up in extreme example, but a powerful example of being ready to witness, to give a defense, even in the midst to those who are inflicting the pain and the suffering. And so just very practically, looking at response two and response three, who is someone in your life who reviles you, who might persecute you, that you need to bless and you need to pray for and you need to witness to? Get very specific with it. Who's someone who's reviling you, who's maybe done evil against you that you need to bless and you need to pray for and you might need even witness to. Let's just talk about it together. I uh, honestly... You know, growing up in church, I felt like I listened to so many sermons where you'd hear a sermon and like, hey, bless those who do evil to you. And it just didn't even seem like, okay, I get that that's how I should act, but I just don't know even how I would do that. Or witness to the person who is creating all the pain and hardship in your life. Like, yeah, great. Sounds ethereal. It sounds good. But like in practice, like where is the power to actually do that? I'm so thankful that Peter knows, unless we look to Christ, we have no power to do any of this. And so the fourth response, fourth godly response when our faith is under trial is simply this. We look to Christ as the power to live this way. Look at what it says in verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. Okay, Peter, but where's the power for this? Well, look at Christ. He suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. That he might bring us to God. Being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. So where's the power to this? The power is we look, we get our gospel lenses on and we look at what Christ has done for us of going to the cross and dying for our sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. Uh, perfect God come in flesh for enemy of the cross. I was an enemy of God, deserving his wrath. In my pride, I had stiff-armed God over and over again, and Christ came down and he bore my sin on the cross, and then out of love, he called me to himself. Uh, it says as even he was being beady, he kept his mouth closed. 
as he's hung on the cross, he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And so the power to live out a life of godly responses in the midst of our faith being under fire is we look at Christ and with the spirit of Christ in us, we say, uh, Christ, you must do this in me and through me because in my flesh, I don't have the strength to bless when I'm Uh, when evil has been done against me. I don't have the strength to suffer for righteousness' sake, giving a defense to the very people, sharing the gospel with the very people who might be inflicting the pain. So my question just for you, uh, wherever you're watching this, wherever you're sitting, whatever you're doing, is um, have you been brought to God through a relationship with Jesus Christ? I mean, that verse said that uh, Christ, the righteous, died for the unrighteous, you and I, that we might be brought to God. The death of Jesus Christ on the cross was for the purpose of reconciling you to a holy God. And there is no other way to be reconciled to God apart from a relationship with Jesus Christ. And it's a relationship that Jesus invites and calls you into today. The Bible says that your response is a response of faith. It's to actually believe that Christ's death on the cross atoned for your sins, paid the penalty for your sins, and that you're invited into a relationship with him to be in a right relationship with God now and forever. And I would just ask you, have you ever prayed and trusted Christ as your Savior today? And why not do that? Why not just call out to God right now and say, God, like you have to save me. I believe Jesus died for my sins. I believe he wants a relationship with me. And today I'm submitting and surrendering my life into his control. Do that today and don't delay one minute longer. And then for all of us watching this, who have submitted our life to the Lordship of Christ with the spirit of Christ inside of us, we are able to have a godly response in the midst of seasons where our faith is under fire. We are able to bless when we're reviled. We're able to witness and suffer for righteousness sake. We're able to come together unified with the bond of love and humility. And so I just look at us and just say like the the whole message of today summarized in just one sentence is this. When our faith is under fire, we unite. We unite to bless those who hurt us and defend the hope in us. I pray that that has equipped us in some way for the, for the days and the weeks and the months ahead in your life. Harvest, we love you, and we send you out commissioned by Jesus to share the gospel for his glory. You are loved and you are sent. Have a great week.